Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And this week, we are joined by Joel Mutamale. I am so excited to have Joel finally on the podcast. Joel is the Director of Theology and Research for Proverbs 31 Ministries and Lisa Turkers. He is so smart and so cool and kind and such a great guy to take these like 400, 500, 600 level concepts and then have conversations around them at that 100, 200 level. So it's super fun to have this conversation with him on Exodus week three. This is our third week in the six-week series of the book of Exodus. Y'all are going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's get right to it. Joel, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. I have been wanting to have you as a guest since we began, so it's finally happening. Yay! (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. Thanks, guys, for having me. And also to have you for a book like Exodus, where it's like so heavy with like these foundational themes for Scripture. I'm so excited about this conversation. We've been giddy, that's for sure. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. I think that these couple chapters, especially the book of Exodus, like you just said, it is not just foundational, but it also serves as almost this consistent reminder for how we're supposed to understand the rest of Scripture, the way that it rolls out. And if we can like kind of grasp what Yahweh is up to in these early chapters, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be super formative for us as we make our way through the rest of the books. Yes, 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 yes. That's awesome. I want you to dig real deep into that that you just said, so I'm excited. Well, this is our third week in a six-week series in the book of Exodus, and so we're not quite midway through, but we have, of course, been in Egypt with God's people. We have seen Moses come to leadership reluctantly, and we have seen God work His wonders in Egypt. Egypt and rescue his people from slavery. We have been through the Red Sea Mm -hmm. and in the wilderness with the manna. And here we are in Exodus chapter 17, where we're going to start. And like thinking back to the first two weeks, like if y'all haven't heard those episodes yet, highly recommend Mm -hmm. week one. Jen Wilkin walks us through this like beautiful, like she kind of paints this like birth motif for the nation of Israel that is so cool. And then last week, week two, Margaret Feinberg was our guest and she talked to us so much about like bread in scripture and Mm -hmm. food in scripture. And it was really fascinating and wonderful. And so now here we are. So listen to those episodes if you haven't yet, because something's happening here. This is in order for a reason. But here we are with Exodus chapter 17. The heading in scripture is water from the rock. Do you want to read some of this? Yeah, I'm going to read it because I want to hear Joel talk to us about it. I love it. Um, I'm going to read Exodus 17, starting in 1. I'm going to go on through 7. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, we're going to say, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go ahead of the people. 
and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Hmm. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Mm. All right, Joel, there is some significant things happening here. Wow. The thirsty people and striking the rock. Talk to us about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I would just want to say is it's easy for us, it's easy for me, y'all, to come to this text and be like, Israelites, you knuckleheads, like, what is going uh-huh. on? Do you not know <laughs> that the Lord has delivered you out of eat? I mean, you kind of recount right. all these things. And and one of the things I, I would love for us to do is take a moment and pause and, and step into the situation that the Israelites mm-hmm. are in, you know? I tend to be a bit empathetic because I think the more we read Scripture, the more we realize, like, Yo, we are the Israelites. Like, right, like yeah, we right. locate ourselves here in this. And I just think of myself when I'm like hangry. My wife is not happy with me. There's nothing really that's <laughs> going to satisfy. Like, you know, I just want what uh-huh. I want. And this is the situation that's taking place. But I think the details of Scripture are so important. So a couple of things here. Notice how there's this detail of this idea of remembrance. The people of Israel, when they get into the wilderness, they are in a position of trial, and we might say tribulation. They're experiencing some hardship, and their first thought is to go back to what they know. And the first place that they go back to is Egypt. Well, maybe, and and you can kind of feel like maybe they're Mm. thinking Egypt was so, and we know this happens later on. This is what they say. Well, Egypt was so much better. And they romanticize what Egypt was like. And I think that how Yahweh instructs Moses is so important because it's almost like God's like, all right, I can play memory from memory. So you're thinking about Egypt and how great Egypt was. Well, when Moses, and notice this, what he says in verse five, the Lord answered to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel. Israel with you. Then he says this, take the staff. The staff did what? The staff that you struck the Nile with in your hand. And I think that visually, as this is taking place, the people of Israel are stepping back and they're going, wait a minute. Oh yeah, that staff looks real familiar. Like, I kind (laughs) of remember what happened and what was associated with the staff and and how God delivered me. And so I think there's a a journey that Yahweh is trying to teach and and to train the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And and again, if we're to take a step back and I think about wildernesses, I think about these kind of three things in terms of a motif, like what's happening in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Often, the wilderness is a place of lack. Often the Mm -hmm. wilderness is a place of pain and discomfort. It's where we complain. And yet it seems to be that the wilderness is Yahweh's intended means and place and context for Him to show His provision and His deliverance. Mm -hmm. And so in one sense, we might say that the wilderness is actually a place of training. The wilderness is a necessity for the people of God. And we're going to see this in later chapters on kind of what's happening and how this is developing. But what God is so, I think, intentional about with the people of Israel is to remind them over and over of His character, of His faithfulness, of His prior presence with the people so that when they're in the midst of present trouble, they will be reminded that He will consistently be with them. 
them and for them and through the wilderness with them. And so I think all of those things are taking place. And I don't want to give away too much, but I do want us all, and this is probably going to happen in a way different episode for you guys as you work through the chapters, but remember the instruction that God gives to Moses in this particular situation with this particular rock and that he was supposed to strike this particular rock. And I don't want to give away yeah. the rest, but uh, just keep that in mind. For You're later showing on. such restraint. I'm telling I'm you. Sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers here. Okay, so I love this. And this whole section, like, you're right. You could talk about this for an entire episode, like the significance. And we've kind of tied some things here, if you have your study book, to the significance of Christ as the rock and the water flowing Mm -hmm. from it, that thirst, that water of life that will cause you to never thirst again. There are things here that aren't here by mistake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that line when the Israelites say, is the Lord among us or not? You know what that reminded me of? First of all, I mean, way to be blunt there, guys. Mm -hmm. But it reminded me of in the New Testament when the people were demanding signs from Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, that same kind of like, rather than the focus being on my faith in the one who has shown himself to be faithful, I would like for you to make up for (laughs) my lack of faith with a sign, please. Yeah. <laughs> Make this yeah. easier for me. Yeah. Yeah. And they were thirsty. Yeah. And later in the New Testament, <laughs> Jesus builds on this. You know, he talks about blessed is right. the generation that That's doesn't right. need signs and they have faith. And and so I think, I mean, gosh, you guys bring up such a good point. I think while we would love it for God to just do miraculous things in front of us all of the time, I just wonder maybe if the restraint of God in not doing it, in not presenting these miraculous things, is actually supposed to be character and trust and faith forming in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm Because we see consistently throughout the Old Testament that every time He does show up, and we're about to see this right now, that it's actually after the moments of triumph that testing takes place, and the people typically utterly fail. It's after they've experienced God's goodness that they're put into a place of complacency where they're unable to then remind themselves of what God has done before. Yeah. We have, I want us to get to Jethro's visit, but I do love this little bit kind of in the middle of 17 where Aaron and her hold up Moses' arms. You know, it's something that I think we reference a lot as Christians holding up one another's arms, but, but I mean, I think for good reason. So something guys, I was excited about, is as I was reading through, I was like taking notes of themes. And I happened to identify four themes that all start with the letter C, and I was very proud of myself. Oh, yeah. I was very, I was very proud oh, of myself. That's like a good sermon starter right there. I'm going to work on that. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. What are your four themes? Thank you for being proud of me. Community. This first one, like, that we are not designed, and we'll see it with Jethro as Mm -hmm. well, like, we are not created to live in isolation. Mm -hmm. And, like, Mm -hmm. we we are actually designed Mm -hmm. to need God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we are designed to need each other. And Mm -hmm. so I do love this imagery of them holding up the arm, because, right, when his arms were up, they would prevail against the enemy, and his arms were down. They were not. And so they were like, well, but his arms got tired. They started so. noticing a theme. Oh, wait, put your arms up. See what put happens. Ah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they held right, him right. up. They held him up. Right. I think and they gave like a seat. cool trick. And they were like, they were like hey, by the That's way, right. you've been standing for a long time. Have a seat on a rock, you know? Have yeah. a seat. That might be nice. I think 
Jen Wilkin wrote the devotional for this day, and so you guys check that out. It's excellent. Okay, chapter 18, Jethro's visit. I love this. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, Mm -hmm. who is a priest in Midian, he's hearing about what's going on with his son-in-law, and he comes to visit. And And he's like, I'm coming to visit. Yeah, and he brings Moses' wife, Uh because Moses' wife had gone back to be with her dad, and he brings Moses' wife and their two sons, Mm -hmm. and they come to visit. And Should I love the little line that's like, and then he asked, how are you doing? <laughs> I did too. I love that. Was yeah, me too. Of course. They asked each other, how are you doing? I, yeah. You know, sometimes the CSB version just really comes through for us. And that was one of those <laughs> yeah. moments. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's no FaceTime, right? Like, they're right, not right. like, huh, I'll just text you and see how the, day, how the day's been. Like, right, right. No. yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> or like, What's I saw your up? Instagram post I've about- I've been following um, on Facebook this journey that you've been on. Right. 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 Good job with Amalek. So what's new? What's been happening? Well, a lot. Let's go sit down <laughs> in the tent and I've got like just... <laughs> How much time do you have? Take a seat. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, it's so and good. And then he's just like this kind of like present father-in-law who kind of like they have their like catch-up time and then and he just goes to observe Moses doing what Moses does. And yeah. this is this really cool... I think we should read some of it, but it's just this neat moment of... One man caring for another man and seeing, like, let me help. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to read a little bit of that. I'm going to start in 13, because this is after he's kind of been there and he's been observing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is chapter 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. So this is a long day. (laughs) (laughs) When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and law. And so I don't want to jump to application, so I won't, but I will say I wrote in the margin, because ministry. Yeah. Like, how often do we say that? It's like, oh, I'm doing this all by myself because ministry. Like, Mm. this is what I'm doing. Mm. Right. And so Jethro calls him out and says, what you're doing is not good. He does not mince words. Um, And he he says to him, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people. I'm kind of skipping around now because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And so he explains to him a plan for delegating some responsibility. That's right. And making a process for this and sharing the weight. I think that something that struck me when I read this yesterday is just the like, God didn't stop Moses and settle him down and go like, hey, hey, hey. You know, like I love that he let this play out among humans, like that Jethro came and helped. It's just sweet to me, this like, no, you need each other. You need each other to sharpen each other. And I think you mentioned Jen Wilkin wrote the devotional for this day's reading. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think she uses the phrase like, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we just, we need each other. Um, yeah. And by each other, I mean that one another, like we've talked about in our community, that like believers need believers. And so this is really sweet. Okay, talk to us a little bit. Is it like the lamest host question to say, talk to us. But I want to hear from you, Joel, about this, because I bet you have fantastic things to say. Well, I do. And I think this is one of the reasons why I kind of love sitting in Bible study with kind of each other. That's what I feel like. I feel like, you know, we're, you know, got Mm -hmm. our coffee and at least I have my coffee here. (laughs) I have mine too. uh, Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, we get to kind of highlight. Here you go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> we get to kind of hi- we get to highlight the things that struck out to us, and it's kind of funny, Amanda, because you were like, "Okay, let's jump to verse 13. And like, I wish I could show you guys my Bible because I've got nothing highlighted in my Bible from verses thirteen through twenty-seven. All of my <gasps> stuff is highlighted. Yeah. All right, take us back. Oh, dead. So, yes. um, that's so awesome. For, but for me, this is kind of some of the stuff that I'm a little bit wired towards. Is I thought it was interesting, Jethro. Like, I think the second half is so so wise and so important. But I think part of what makes it even more important is that we recognize that Jethro is a non-Israelite. Like, he is not part of the people of God. He's a Midianite. And not only Mm -hmm. is he a Midianite, but he's a priest of Midian, right? And so you have this inter-ethnic, intercultural relationship that's going on. And I think there's a tactic that's actually being played out here that's based, again, I'm going to take us back to chapter 17 with the rock and what happens there and then on the mountaintop and how Moses brings deliverance. And it's right after that scene that Jethro's like, yo, your story is being told. Like in an ancient <laughs> world where there are no newspapers, somehow that's the right. newspapers or are being hashtags. sent out. Or even yeah. hashtags, you know, like <laughs> you've gone viral, Moses and Israelites and Yahweh, and yeah. what is going on? And, and he sits down, and so I mean, even Rahab is hearing about this, right? I like mean, we'll yeah. later learn, right? <laughs> like I mean, yeah, this is this is kind of a big deal. And there are scholars who debate what's going on here. I tend to believe in verses eleven through thirteen. This is how. Well, actually, all the way back in verse nine, Jethro rejoiced over mm-hmm. all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Just a side note, like y'all want to identify really good friends. Uh, note yeah. the friends that rejoice with you. You say something yeah. exciting and they're like, yo, that's amazing, you know? And they that's celebrate right. you. That's what Jethro is doing. And then verse 10, this is his declaration. Bless the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you. And this is a, a retelling of the Egypt story that rescued you from the power of Egypt, from the power of Pharaoh, which I think is massively important. He mm-hmm. rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now, so in light of what I've heard, in light of what I understand now, I know that the Lord is greatest, is greater than all the gods, because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Now, what does Jethro do? to prove what he believes. Verse 12, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt, he's a priest, a Midianite priest. Wow, yeah. And he brings a burnt offering and a sacrifice, Hmm. not to the gods that he worshiped, but to Yahweh. And Aaron came with all the elders. It's almost like an ancient version of communion, (laughs) all. Aaron Mm -hmm. came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in in God's presence. So I think there's a subversive message that's also being played out here. That, And we're going to get to this in chapter 19. And I think this is why the narrative is building this way, is God's intention for the people of Israel is to be a witness to the nations of the world. And here we find a contrast between Jethro who is the prototype versus uh, Pharaoh, who is the anti... Like, like Pharaoh saw all the great things that Yahweh did, and yet he hardened his heart. He did not proclaim the goodness of God. He did not relent and submit to the king. And here's Jethro, another foreigner. And while Pharaoh was a king, now we've got Jethro, who's a priest. And so, we're getting this kind of holistic image here. And Jethro, I think through evidence of this offering and eating with the elders, I think he's actually declaring allegiance to Yahweh. And he's Mm -hmm. saying, I'm putting my lot in with y'all. And then this is insane. 
And then he goes into, by the way, I learned some things. And Moses, like, maybe I can help you out with some of these administration stuff because you're going awesome. to run yourself ragged. And, and I think what we find here is the beauty in this small Old Testament passage of how you can have a type of unity that exemplifies diversity and that honors distinction and background. And you can bring those things into the family of God. And all of those things are celebrated and honored and redeemed under the kingship of God. And so, like, I love that. I love, like, he's like, hey, and God be with you in 19. Now listen to me. I'll give you some advice, and God be with you. And you be the one Mm -hmm. to represent. And then he kind of goes on. And so I kind of love how that's going on. And then 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law, you know? And Mm -hmm. then he kind of executes it. And so I just wonder if Moses is also responding and reacting to, like, wow, my father-in-law just, you know? Right. He just declared Yahweh's God. Became a follower of Yahweh. That was not what I... It's funny, Joel, because I had underlined, you know, that detail about Jethro rejoicing about all the things that Mm -hmm. God had done and that he had, you know, blessed the Lord. But I had fully forgotten, and thank you for bringing this to our attention, I'd forgotten the fact that you're right. Like, he was a Midianite. I didn't think about the fact that he wasn't a person of Israel. Right. And so that was a connection that I had not made. So thank you so much. Yes, and how encouraging and how, like— it would not have gotten past Moses, obviously. Well, sure, yeah. That yeah. This, this transformation and the impact that this had on his father-in-law and how that, even that equipped, not just the advice that Jethro gave, but Jethro's visit itself and Jethro's encounter with Yahweh, how that would have encouraged and equipped Moses. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that with us. So, so good. You are such a fun guest, Joel. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like we either like look forward to a recording because we are excited to learn or we pray before a recording, like, Lord, help us to learn in this moment, not for it to just be, you know, us saying the things that we know. And so these recordings are so fun and special for Amanda and I. Just mm-hmm. we get to learn. Awesome. Best seat in the house. Best seat in the house. <laughs> <laughs> now, after that reading day, after Monday's reading day, In our reading plan, if you have your study books, you'll see that the second section of our reading plan begins here, and where the first section was called The Road Out, which is the story of the Exodus and the rescue of God's people. The second section, you all, is called For Glory and Beauty. And so the setting of this half, it's it's not it's more than a half, of the book of Exodus (laughs) is the wilderness, as Mm -hmm. you already pointed out. And what God is going to do is He's going to graciously provide details of like, here's what it's going to look like now to live out your love for me mm-hmm. in this current right now place that you're in. And then we get some really, the beauty part really comes in to play we'll with the tabernacle yeah. and that's going to, it's going to be great. So these next chapters, like kind of 19 through 24, these are like the covenant, the mosaic covenant <gasps> moments. That's mm-hmm. my second C. Uh-huh. Covenant. Oh, covenant. There we go. Right. Listen. And so 19 is the true like, hey, let's initiate this covenant and sort of this back and forth between God and Moses and then God and the people. Chapter 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments and then kind of 
21, 22, 23, it's, I don't know, you call it like the terms and conditions, the ordinances, like the like, here's how, Additional loss. how y'all will yeah. live this out in the promised land, like as the people of Israel. There are so many places that we can go here. Joel, what are you most excited to talk about in this section? I think for me, it's right off the bat in chapter 19. Mm-hmm. I think if there's a thesis or like a theme verse that helps us orient what has happened before and what's coming in front of us, I think it's 19, 4 through 6. You want me to read that? Yeah, please. Yes, please. All right. So the heading here is uh, Israel at Sinai. This is what the text says, and starting in verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Obviously, this is God speaking. Verse 5, now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my possession. Out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And I actually think, you know, guys, why I think this is so important is because we're, again, starting to see some repetition. I think every time we see repetition in Scripture, there's a reason for it. And there's almost this theology of remembrance that Yahweh is trying to just get into our minds and into our hearts. And so, as I was studying this passage, I think what we have is gospel and law. So, I'll try to work that out. Gospel is simply good news. The Greek word is, you know, it's the proclamation of good news. Then you've got the law, and the law is simply like, all right, now what are the expectations? Now, how do we do this? So, the gospel that Yahweh gives to the people is, hey, I delivered you. That's great news. You're not in captivity in Egypt anymore. But then the law comes in on that back half, starting in verse 5, now. So, in light of this deliverance, here's what the expectation is in order to be in covenant relationship with me. You have to carefully listen to the things that I say, keep my covenant, and the result of this is you're going to be my possession. And the law is made up in this words of possession. And what are they? A type of priest and a holy mm-hmm. nation. And so, I did some like word studies through this, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. The Hebrew word for possession, based on my study, it only shows up eight times in the scriptures. Mm. Two of the times, it's referring to a king and the king's treasure. And the other six times, it's referring to the distinctive aspect of the people of Israel in comparison to the nations. And so, you've got this idea of a prized possession, but the reason why they're prized is because they're set apart. That's what holy means. They're set apart from all the other nations. But then notice this, verse 6, you're going to be my kingdom of priests, and then my holy nation. The Hebrew word for nation there is goyim. This goes back to some of my dissertation stuff. That word, it deals with a people group who have a political or national identity, right? And so, what Yahweh is saying is, you look out and you see the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Phil, like all these people, and they all have kings, and they all have kingdoms, and they all have politics, and they all have policies and procedures. What Yahweh is telling them is, by the way, you have a king, I'm the king, and you've Mm -hmm. got some policies and systems and structures, and that's what I'm going to now kind of lead you into. But I think it would be a miss for us to view this purely as like the means to the end is the law. Actually, what I think is happening is that the law is a means to the final end, which is the invitation of the nations to participate in the work 
of God to be involved and, and within the family of God. And in fact, that's exactly what priests do here. So I've got like three things that priests would have done in the Old Testament. One, they represent God. Two, they mm-hmm. would represent the people, Israel, right? And then yep. three, they represent the possibility of a relationship with God. And I think it's interesting, this is the biblical theologian in me, I think it's interesting that we find in Jesus, you know, Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus is not just simply the representation of God, that, that Jesus is the exact imprint of Yahweh himself. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus on the cross is a representative of humanity in what C.S. Lewis calls the great exchange. And Jesus, in the third way, he makes relationship possible and that reunion amongst the nations. This is Ephesians 2 and breaking down of the wall of hostility. And so, you see all these things kind of coming together. And so, I think we need to now read some of these really difficult chapters right after this, like some of the stuff isn't fun. Like I read through them and they're kind of rough, you know, like you're like, whoa, for real? Like you're supposed to do that in this situation? But Mm -hmm. we have to keep it in the context of there's an actual people, an actual ancient world, Mm -hmm. there's actual competing policies and procedures. And the type of system that Yahweh sets up is so distinct that the Canaanites are going to be like, y'all are crazy. There's no way that you should treat foreigners, sojourners, and exiles with common decency and love and actually provide a way for them to be part of your coven community. Like, the way we do it is y'all stay in the margins, you know? And yet God is consistently saying, no, you don't look like them. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. And those are, I'm just going to go ahead and tell y'all my other two Cs. Oh, yeah, let's hear them. Um, we had I'm sorry. I like, we have I... covenant. Mm. No, I'm, it's because it goes along with what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And then commandments, like we're going to get the Ten Commandments, yeah. which are very important, yeah. right? And then character, like all of these laws, like that that you were just explaining, Joel, God is showing who He is. He is revealing His character. And so what matters to the heart of God? The people on the margins matter to the Mm -hmm. heart of God. Justice matters. Life. Like there's a lot of, you know, kind of eye for an eye type language, but it's because life is valuable, Mm -hmm. which was counter to the culture that they were living in. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much care, could be the fifth C if we wanted it to be. Ah. There's so much care (laughs) in these chapters, and we have to see that. I think we have to do what you just said. We have to see, remember, like Rachel often talks about, like we need like our boots on the ground here. What... What was it like to be a people? Like their boots were not on the ground in Nashville in the year 2022. Their boots were on the ground in the wilderness. They were right. a new society, a new people without structures entering into places that had existing structures that were not God honoring. Yeah. Yeah. And so how are they to live as God's people? They wouldn't know. So God is in great detail giving them, it feels like such kindness to me that when I think of it, when I zoom out and think of it that way, it's such kindness that God, I even thought about like the length of time it took for God to say all this (laughs) to Moses. And then Moses writes it all down. And then even more mind-blowing that now we're reading what God said and Moses wrote down. Yeah. Like you said, boots on the ground. That's something that struck me pretty significantly in this reading is maybe in a fresh way, the level of access that we have to God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We forget that 
the people of Israel did not have the access to God that we have now as a royal priesthood, a people, like it is different. And so when you and I, I wake up and talk to God, I get to do that Mm -hmm. because of the blood of Christ, right? Because of that sacrifice. But the people in Israel, like if we put our boots on the ground there, there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of ram's mm-hmm. horns and like back and forth and mouthpiecing happening and so much even being set up for a way for the people to, they had to go to Moses so that they could interact with God. Mm-hmm. And I think that, no, I know that I for sure take for granted yeah. the level of access that I have to God. And I think that it's it was really helpful for me to read this and go, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's so good. I mean, you're describing first Peter two nine that Peter Peter says, you know, we're a holy kingdom, a royal priesthood. He's quoting yeah. back here from Exodus. And mm-hmm. to that point, it's like God gives an ideal here for the people. And I just think of like, okay, if I'm the Israelites, it's frustrating to have a vision of what is an ideal and never be able to actually experience it and walk that ideal out. You know, it's like an example would be like, I don't know, like, I'll just think of like, I've got four kids, three boys and a baby girl, you know, so 10, eight, seven, six, and then two years old. And the other day the kids were like, Hey, I want to go to Disneyland, you know? And I've always been like a Scrooge of a parent where I'm like, I am going to take you to Disneyland when you can remember all the things that took place. (laughs) One time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, no, we want to now. And so we're like, all right, so we're going to make a plan to go for Disneyland. And so my kids are like, eagerly awaiting this moment. There's an anticipation that is built up and every day they don't experience it, it's more anticipation. And I look at the Israelites here and God gives them this ideal that they're as a people, not just Aaron, not just Moses, not just the Levitical tribe, as a people, they're supposed to be a holy kingdom. And yet, right, I mean, chapter 19, verses 20, and God says, the people can't come up to the mountain, (laughs) you know? And then- Verse right. 23, Moses responded respond to the Lord, the people cannot come up on the mountain since you warned us, put a boundary <laughs> around the mountain and consecrate it. And the text said, like, if anybody touches the mountain or the boundary or an animal does, they got to die, you know, uh-huh. like arrows and uh-huh. stuff. Like, this is not, and so I just think of, wow, how kind of the Lord for us to live in a moment in time in history where we look back and we can place ourselves in the tension of, man, that must have been so hard, right? But then also look at First Peter 2.9 and say, wow, because of Jesus, yeah. we can wake up in the morning. Like our access to God is exactly that, Rachel. I just love that thought. Yeah. Yeah. Just unfettered. Like looking at chapter 19, that section starting in verse 16, like the description of what that third day looked like. It says, on the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast from a ram's horn so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Like I'm thinking like reverse volcano situation, but like in a way that we, we our minds can't comprehend uh-huh, what is uh-huh. happening here, but it is huge. It's smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. Mm. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Like this 
is mm. big. Mm-hmm. And I love, I don't remember exactly which verse it is, but it's right in here in 19, I think, that God says, I'm going to speak these words to you, mm-hmm. but I want the people to hear them, hear me say them, so that yeah. they will trust you and, and like mm. yeah. to give you that authority. Mm-hmm. And then we get to chapter 20, and we hear the people of Israel hear God speak these yeah. Ten Commandments. Yeah. Mm. Can we read them? Mm. I think we should. I mean, here we are. They're right here. That's Joel, right. do you want to read Feels them? like we should read them. Yeah, you want me to go all the way through 17, like all Ten Commandments? Let's or? do it, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. and Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands." Hmm. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not cover your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Thanks Amen. Be Thanks be to God. And then verses 18 and 19, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Yeah. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. There's this like holy fear of the mm. people. Mm-hmm. So many thoughts on the Ten Commandments. That could be not only a whole episode, but a whole reading plan. It could be so much. I mean, we notice, it's hard to not notice the significant word count given to the Sabbath. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. 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 And later this same week, we will read, let's see where it is, because we may not, we won't get to it today. Um, in our conversation, but later in chapter 23, we'll read more about the Sabbath. And then it's not as, you know, in the kind of additional laws section that go on, that, mm-hmm. that goes on for chapters and chapters, where it's not just a Sabbath from work. There's also like, it is built into creation. It's how mm-hmm. he created the world, but he, there's even language about giving the land a Sabbath, like right. the seventh year, mm-hmm. and that that serves the purpose of allowing the poor among you to come and like glean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's built into the rhythm not just of creation or of like our you know our hearts society like it is it is one of those things that is so clearly important to god explicitly clear yes and i when i see this and am reminded just how clear it is 
I am humbled at the thought of how I treat it as optional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How like so afraid we are to put our work down, yes. whether it be for one day yes. a week or for one year every seven years, like whatever that looks right. like. And why are we afraid? Because we're counting on ourselves. That's right. Yeah. One of my pastors shared this thing where he was saying, like, really, it's the day that we put down our unfinished work to tend to the finished work of Christ. Like, it's this, the putting down of, stop being so afraid that you're holding it all together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so struck by even the opening, like, account in Genesis, you know, and that's what happens here. Like, the Lord reminds them this is what he did himself. But I, I find it so interesting that Adam and Eve are created after the days of creation, right? And they're placed in Eden. And when they're placed in Eden, they're initially placed in a position of rest. And so their vocation overflows from rest because God has already worked and created. And mm-hmm. yet, after the fall, we've got that inverted, you know? We've gotten mm-hmm. that right. tragically turned upside down. Where, And this is for me. Like, I think I work in order to gain rest. Like, I work so that I can earn the rest versus I wonder what happened in my mind. And I'm kind of just preaching this to myself. Like, man, I work vocationally and what I do from a place of rest because of what Jesus has finished on the cross. Like I get to do these things and it's actually an indictment almost against myself because in a subtle way, it's almost saying like, yeah, like God, like you can't do this thing without me. So I'm going to have to grind this out, right? right? I'm going to have to put in the Mm -hmm. overtime. This is going to have to get done by me. (laughs) This is going to have to get done by me. And then you get into all the fear, you know? Well, if I don't do it, somebody else isn't going to do it. Or if if I don't do it my way, they're not going to do it the right way. And then I'm going to have to go back in. And it just unravels, right? It unravels Mm -hmm. the, honestly, like the Lutheran Calvin talked about it in terms of like the heart being curved inwards. It unravels Mm -hmm. how inward our heart is as a result yeah. of the fall. And then we'll get later to uh, in this in these chapters, and yet sanctification is actually the process of God rightly reorienting our hearts and taking it from being bent inwards to pointing back out unto Him. So, yeah, this is, I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I, well, listen, for me, it's this urge to provide for myself mm. that is the scary thing to put down. Like, mm. I, I think that, that I need to do to take care of myself or whatever it is. And to just, man, it is an actual physical exercise to cease providing for yourself. Yeah. I mean, what a theme in the book of Exodus. like Exactly. And that we even talked about at the beginning of the episode that we are created to be dependent on God, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that is how we are knit together. And and we see in the book of Exodus, I mean, we see it in the manna and we see it in the water from the rock and in Jethro's advice. Like this is, we as humans, you know, we are so forgetful. Mm. And so I require constant reminder yeah. <laughs> that I do not hold all things together. I mean, that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Colossians 1, mm-hmm. he holds all things together. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right, so now for the remaining days of this week's reading, Joel, we have sort of that additional laws Mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. And I think a question that our listeners and our community would want us to ask is, how do we read these (laughs) as students of Scripture in Mm -hmm. 2022? Like, we know that this is being laid out for life for the people of Israel in roughly like 1500-ish B.C., 
how do we read these and what application can we draw? Yeah, I think so. There's a fame, and you guys have probably heard this before. There's, it's kind of like a famous quote now. I think John Walton, the Old Testament scholar, said it first. At least that's where I read it first is the idea that the Bible is, was written for us, not to us, which can get all up in our business, right? Like, like there's it. all kinds yeah. of issues in that. Like, wait a minute, I'm not David? Like, what do you mean I'm not David? <laughs> You know, like, no, you're not David, bro. Like, David was David. You are who you are, right? So Mm -hmm. I think one of the things is I would just want to maybe give us a vision of, and you actually, I think, Rachel or Amanda, you said it earlier, that this is happening in real time and in real history. The people are becoming a nation, and yet they're not actually a nation with all the rules. And on top of all of that, they look a bit ragtag. You know what I mean? Like, they got (laughs) no kingdom. There's no physical Mm -hmm. king on the throne. Their armies are probably not looking all that hype. And yet, the rumor mill is going that these guys can fight, you know, and and -hmm. their God can do some stuff. And so around this- That manna is fueling them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, There are these various codes. One of them is like the Code of Hammurabi. And so there are these existing laws. So we have to understand, I think, chapters, you know, 20 through 23 or 24 here, in light of contracts or covenants that were established between people and people groups or between a people and their gods. And so let's talk not the Israelites. In the ancient world, it was very common for the Canaanites or the Assyrians or all these different people to have contracts and covenants that were established to maintain order, right? And yet it's really intriguing. If we were to take kind of, um, this is hard for the theologian to me to take a large brushstroke, but I'm going to do it and say there's a lot of nuance (laughs) here. The overwhelming kind of emphasis of things like the Code of Hammurabi and these other ancient Near Eastern texts and and covenant rites was always the self-preservation of the people and to leave people with power to have more power and people in the margins to stay in the margins so that it would create a system of hierarchy where the proud get like prouder and stronger and the weak are kind of subjugated. And that was just normal. You know, that was normal in Mm -hmm. the ancient world. I want us to now think about that. Now, when we read all of this, if you were a Canaanite and you came over and you read this, this would be so blasphemous to you. This would make absolutely Mm, no sense. And, And let's look at a couple of these places that I highlighted. So chapter 22 you know, there's a whole section here, loss protecting the vulnerable. You're not going to find this in yeah. other places, right? Verse 21, right. and notice how Yahweh establishes this. You must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him since, and he locates them <laughs> into the story, right? Like, yeah, since right. you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. Verse 31, respect for God. He tells him to be my holy people, so set apart. Chapter 23, in verse 9, you must not oppress a resident alien. You yourselves know, like, you know how it feels to be a resident alien because you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. And then it goes into, like, repetitions on don't follow after other gods and all of that. And so I would say that one of the ways that we read this is that we kind of realize, huh, the way that God sets up the people of Israel is to be so distinct in their cultural context that the nations around them would yeah. pick up their head and be like, yo, y'all are whack. Like, this is weird. It makes no <laughs> sense. But for some reason, your society is flourishing. For some reason, mm-hmm. God is expanding mm-hmm. your territory. For some reason, you are whooping all the other kings and queens out on the block. Like, like there's something that is going on here. And so, it's the nature of the upside-down kingdom. And God gives his people how to live that out 
in that context. And the danger that we have is we take our 20th century, 2022, you know, we're located in a Western context, you know, and we try to impose our cultural context into these ancient Near Eastern rites and and restrictions. And for us, it feels very odd. And we might say it's unjust and all these other things. But the problem is, is we're so taking it out of context that we're missing how novel this was in the ancient world. Yeah. That's so good. I love that that. right in those verses that you just read, Joel, in verse 22, it says, you must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry, (laughs) and my anger will burn. Mm -hmm. I just thought, man, I mean, not only is it making provisions and bringing in the outsider, it's like, my heart is for them too, mm-hmm. and they will be brought in to the full. And I mean, that's the gospel. Those who were far or, you know, are brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that you pointed out, Joel, that it's don't forget who you were and what I did. Right. Like, even when he says, like, when God says, you are my people, this is true by matter of creation. I created mm. you. And he also redeemed them. He literally purchased them out of Egypt. Like, he redeemed them from Egypt. They mm-hmm. are his twofold and in the future threefold by the blood of Christ. But he's going, like, never forget how you got here and how, like, how much you were first loved. It's that, like, first John, like, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. And this idea is picked up later. I think it's Peter again somewhere, and we'll have to look it up. But, you know, Peter refers to us as sojourners and strangers in a land that is not our own. We're exiles mm-hmm. in a land. And so it is picking back up on the Exodus story of saying, yeah, the same thing is happening right now. We're part of an already but not yet kingdom that is breaking through and has not come in full consummation. And so our role, Second Corinthians 5, is to serve as ambassadors, representing a priestly royal nation that is beckoning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a world that is in the wilderness to return and to come back into the family of God. And so, in some ways, like we're picking back up on these themes that God is very intentionally, I think, laying out in these chapters in Exodus. Yeah, yeah. I love that covenant is the word that we kept coming back to as we first started talking, and that even with all of these laws and and rules and things that are being set out, and even the Ten Commandments, that the basis of God's covenant with us is grace, mm-hmm. is love and grace. And we see, I mean, when we go to chapter 23, which will be 23 and 24, the last chapters we'll read this week in Exodus, there are... So many at the end of chapter 23, there are so many I wills Mm -hmm. where the Lord is saying, I will be an enemy to your enemy, a foe to your foes. I will wipe them out. I will remove illnesses from you. I will cause the people to flee. Like I will, I will send hornets in front of you. I mean, he's like, I, I will set your borders. I will place the inhabitants of land under your control and you will drive them out ahead of you. This is verse 32. You must not make a covenant with them Mm. or their gods, their lowercase g gods. Mm -hmm. They must not remain in your land or else they will make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will be a snare for you. So like, here's all that I have everything covered. What you need to do 
is worship me alone. Yep. And I yeah. think I just, you know, to wrap that up on a couple different things, one is the language that is being used here in these chapters, it's marriage language. The words like, yeah. like in Hebrew, like the jealousy, the hate, the the uh-huh. passion, the possession, the inheritance, this is all language that would have been like all over the place in marriage contracts in the ancient world, right? And so we're seeing that picture that the God's people are a bride and that God is the groom and that he is coming into a, and this gets a little bit technical, but it seems to be a bilateral contract that would require not only God, the I will statements, but for the people. And so that statements, you know, so they will now respond in light of this. And so this is so unique that God has every reason, (laughs) he had every reason to just like, and Hosea kind of shows it, right? Like to divorce and be done. I'm like, I'm done with y'all. Y'all have broken every covenant in every possible way. And yet in a bilateral covenant, what God does uniquely is maintain his unilateral covenant. And he says, even in the midst of your faithlessness, I'm going to remain faithful. Yeah, so good. Sometimes we find ourselves at the end of a reading week with a bit of a cliffhanger. (laughs) We have sort of a nice ending to this week's reading because we end with the covenant ceremony in Exodus 22 where, you know, the people are saying, I mean, it says here, and I'm chuckling because we know the rest of the story. In verse 3, it says, Then all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, which we are now reading. It's that marriage, um, that language of like, yeah, I do. Yeah, we will, and I will I do. never That's fail. Exactly That's it. promise right. it. Yes. yes. That's right. <laughs> and then Moses, you know, makes a sacrifice. And in verse 8, Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning these words. And of course... We that immediately brings to mind for those of us who are Bible readers, the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, where Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so it is so important to remember that all these motifs, all these themes, these stories, every single one of them is pointing to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is such a a foundational part of the redemption story, but it's, you know, it's all about him. And so I'm so thankful, Joel, you've helped us see that. And I'm really grateful. Also, we very deeply hope you will come back because that was a fun episode and I learned so much. We can nerd out together any day. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of want to read your dissertation. Is that a thing that's possible? Yeah, that's a lot of words. Yeah, I don't bet. know. It's a I'll, lot of words. I'll shoot, I'll shoot it your way and uh, you guys can... Hey, if it's available in an audio, <laughs> I was just about to yeah. say, do you have do you have an audio? Uh, it is not on uh, Audible yet, but I don't know. Right. That's too bad. We'll get there. We'll yeah, get yeah. It there. It'll, yeah. it'll be fun. Very well, good. thank you guys so much for this, and I just am so grateful for what you do in your ministry and just how you know. And I do need to say this. I feel like I need to say this. I get so many questions, y'all. On hey, is there a equivalent to like the she reads truth or like to first five apps things that we do at Proverbs? Is there an equivalent for guys? And I tell you, like I have it as an automatic responder on my Instagram that the automatic responder is <laughs> yes. My friends over at She Reads Truth have an incredible part of their ministry called He Reads Truth. And so, yes, there is. And <laughs> yes. so I'm just so thankful for what you do. And That's awesome. Yeah, I just love that. What an honor to be able to just get into God's Word together. And so thank you for the opportunity. Yes. This Likewise. is the stuff. This is the stuff. That's how we feel about 
you all and what you're doing at Proverbs 31. We're just so, so grateful. Mm-hmm. What a fun job we have <laughs> to get to link arms mm-hmm. like this and read God's Word together and call it work. And have conversations <laughs> like this. Like, it's the best kind of book club. Here kind. we are. Having a good time. Book club. Yeah. All right. Well, next week for week four of Exodus, we will be joined by Blair Lynn, and we're excited to keep going with Moses and the people of Israel. And I believe we are going to really dig into that for glory and beauty theme as we, yes, we are. start to look at the tabernacle. I'm Lots very of numbers. excited. It's going to be great. But until next week, Joel, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.